Hello and welcome to today's event on how district e heating can help meet the EU's climate neutrality targets. My name is Dave Keating. I'm a journalist based in Brussels and I'm coming at you live from the Euractiv studios in the heart of the EU quarter. Now, district heating networks, which are made up of hot water pipes running below the ground, supply millions of homes and cities across Europe, and they represent about 10% of the EU's heat markets. Now, many of these are legacy systems that are decades old, but recent challenges, most notably the fight against climate change and the energy security concerns brought on by the war in Ukraine, has brought these systems into a new focus as possible solutions to both of those issues. And they've spurred interest in how district heating systems can be further developed. The key question, though, is how can EU national and local policy encourage the development of new and legacy systems in a way that's optimized to face those two challenges? Should there be EU money allocated for their construction? And if so, should the approach be prescriptive, conditioning funding on partnering with specific technology or fuel? These are, after all, enormous and expensive systems, and funding is a key question to how these projects are realized. Today, we're going to talk about how public policy is affecting the trajectory of district heating development, and in particular, we're going to talk about the place of district heating in the EU's Fit for 55 package. Now, earlier this year, the Polish Association of Professional Combined Heat and Power Plants, PTEZ, published a report looking at the implications for Poland, which has one of the largest markets for district heating in the EU. So, to get us started, I would like to introduce Paweł Steszek, who is Vice President of the Management Board for PTEZ and also PKEE, for some opening remarks. Pavel? Thank you. Good morning, everyone. So, ladies and gentlemen, <coughs> thank you. Uh, thank you very much for accepting the invitation to the debate of Euroactive and the Polish Electricity Association uh, regarding the district heating sector, its transformation, and the impact of uh, the Fit for 55 package on this process and on end users. The regulations for the, of the Fit for 55 package are the first on history to have such a significant impact of the heating sector, especially EED, RED, EPBD, and ETS directives. I would like to emphasize that regulations of these directives will have a much greater impact on Poland than on, than on other member states due to the fact that it's one of the most populous EU countries with, with the same time the most difficult uh, climate, uh, climate conditions, which result in a large demand for the heat. Over 40% of Poles use district heating. These are mainly city dwellers. The Polish Association of Professional Com Combined Heat and Power Plants, which I also represent, has prepared a report on the impact of the 55 package of Polish district heating. The report showed that 
meeting the requirements for the EU's PIT455 package will require in Poland's, in Poland's case, depending on the scenario, ex expenditures of the more than 90 billion for decarbonization of the district heating sector. We are concerned about excessive burden of transformation costs on our users, especially considering the pro provisions of the GB GBPR. Uh, regarding the maximum in, in intensity of state aid. However, we believe that the financing problem will be noticed by the EU institution and we will work to appropriate the solutions together. So, it's not to increase the burden on the final customers. Thank you. Thanks very much, Pavel. We're going to talk about that in a little more detail. Now I'd like to bring up our panelists that we've assembled to talk about these issues. Uh, you guys can come on up on the podium now. I'll introduce you. So to talk about this today, we have with us Mattis Lanniston, who is the Policy Officer for Energy Efficiency at the European Commission's Energy Department. We have Radan Kanev, a Bulgarian center-right MEP and a substitute member of the European Parliament's Environment Committee. We have Julian Joubert, a project manager for energy systems and planning at Energy Cities, who is joining us remotely. And we have Doroto Jezioroska, who is director of PTEZ. Thank you all so much for joining us today. Now, you all, whether you're watching it here live or online, will be able to ask your questions to the panelists using Slido. Uh, you can go ahead and scan. If you're here in the room, you'll see a barcode on the side of the wall. That's where you can scan to put your questions into Slido, or if you're watching online, uh, you'll see it right there next to your screen. Uh, I'll be putting those questions to the panelists toward the end. So, uh, Maris, I'd like to start with a question for you. So we've talked already about the EU policy framework here, and specifically the Fit for 55 package. So how is the Fit for 55 package addressing district heating systems? Thank you for the question, and uh, good afternoon, everybody. So, yeah, indeed, uh, the Fit for 55 uh, package was a massive package in the EU. It consisted of several policy documents and several proposals for the new legislative acts. And, uh, but what is most important part of the Fit for 55 package for the district heating are the uh, proposal for the Energy Efficiency Directive that was recently adopted and published and the Renewable Energy Directive that where we also have a political agreement and uh, is near the completion. Uh, what these uh, directives are saying to us is, first of all, the Energy Efficiency Directive introduces several measures that are is uh, addressing the district heating sector and district cooling sector. And the most important element of this uh, particular legislative act is the definition of efficient district heating and cooling. So it's, uh, it's the core of this uh, vision that the Commission has in the district heating sector. And this long-term vision that, that we have in the district heating sector is that this must contribute to the EU's uh, general uh, carbon neutrality target for 2050. And district heating sector is a competitive player when you talk about uh, 
the specific uh, costs of uh, reducing the emissions. And uh, what is the design of this definition? So it's a gradual tightening of the definition that is uh, scheduled in the directive. There are specific thresholds uh, for, for every five, seven years. And in, I will not talk about these individual numbers, but what is most important narrative in this definition is that after 2035, there will be no support to the systems that, uh, that use only fossil fuels. So after that date, uh, there should be contribution from the renewables available in the district heating system. And the second important uh, consideration is that uh, after 2045, the systems that can comply with the, uh, with the uh, definition should uh, cannot have uh, cannot have the system, cannot have the feature that they are supplied from the efficient district from the high efficiency coal generation based on the fossil fuels. Uh, there are also some other important uh, requirements, namely that uh, after 2030, there will be no support for the new investments uh, using the fossil fuels. So this is a special consideration that was introduced in the last uh, stage of the negotiations, uh, and uh, it's a part of the directive now. What are the implications of this, uh, this particular definition? First of all, it uh, sets the requirements related to the state aid. Secondly, there is a requirement for district heating systems above five megawatts, that uh, they should have a clear plan how to meet the definition of efficient district heating and cooling. So every five years they should renew this plan and uh, they should aim at uh, achieving the standard of efficient district heating and cooling. In addition, there is uh, one important element of the EED is that um, uh, in all large municipalities, having the population about 45,000, there should be a long-term heating and cooling plan. It uh, means that in the thousand or roughly thousand largest European municipalities and uh, cities, we are going to have much clearer understanding how to move towards the decarbonized heating and cooling and also in the district heating. Uh, what is also important to remind that uh, also the Renewable Energy Directive put the specific uh, uh, targets to the district heating sector and besides this um, specific target for the uh, heating and cooling sector decarbonization annual target to how to increase the share of renewables in heating and cooling. There is a specific indicative target for the district heating to increase its annual contribution of renewables. So these are the main elements in the Fit for 55 package that are contributing this long-term ambition to decarbonize district heating sector. Thanks. And just a quick follow-up question for you, Maris, because I think it's important for our discussion. You mentioned that after 2030, there can't be support for new investments in fossil fuels. Does that include an investment in, let's say, a district heating system that is combined with an existing fossil fuel plant? Well, yeah, it's a um, general requirement that uh, whenever this system operator tries to meet the uh, definition of the 
efficient district heating and cooling, there shouldn't be new investments made to the fossil fuel-based uh, installations. Okay, let's go to Radin next. So um, we're talking here about the, the Fit for 55 framework, but how do you think that EU regulation, Fit for 55 or otherwise, can help facilitate district heating's role in decarbonization, particularly in countries that have a legacy of these systems? Yes. Uh, uh, by the way, uh, one of the, the key legislations uh, regarding district heating is certainly EPBD, the Energy Performance Buildings Directive, uh, which is under a very difficult trial of negotiations now. Uh, it uses the Energy Efficiency Directive definition, uh, but requires uh, a building to be connected, for example, to this uh, high uh, efficiency district heating uh, in order to have uh, a highest uh, grade of uh, energy performance certificate. Uh, which, by the way, uh, being the proposal of, uh, of the Commission, uh, shows uh, some, some very different trend uh, in different parts of Europe. Uh, for northwestern Europe, uh, mostly heated uh, by individual gas boilers for, uh, for the separate buildings, uh, never mind uh, one-family buildings or, or building blocks. Uh, district heating has been in many debates, uh, including the EPBD debate, a kind of silver bullet, uh, the way to get rid of gas boilers uh, and to, uh, to find a new way of uh, effective heating for a whole neighborhood. Uh, whereas uh, in, uh, in Central and Eastern Europe, uh, not everywhere, but uh, for example, uh, Poland and Bulgaria, our countries are two, uh, two good examples, the district heating uh, is the existing status quo uh, and far from a silver bullet. I must say, in, uh, in its um, existing circumstances. Uh, and uh, which is, uh, I would say, much more important uh, because uh, I've been in uh, quite a few exchanges with Polish colleagues uh, and uh, I can say uh, if we take the biggest cities into countries, uh, the capital, Sofia and Warsaw, uh, they have a lot of similarities in the, in the heating model. Uh, it is not what... Uh, most colleagues from the western part of Europe understand by district heating. It is these uh, huge uh, central heating systems, and that's how we call it, at least in Bulgaria. Uh, we call it central heating. And it's usually covering a big part of a big city uh, with uh, one or a small number of uh, existing uh, fossil fuel generating facilities. Uh, so the, the transformation of such uh, huge facilities uh, is a very, very difficult task. And I wouldn't uh, only say expensive one. It is certainly expensive. Uh, but uh, it is a very uh, serious engineering challenge. Uh, and furthermore, there is no obvious solution. So you don't know where to go. Uh, because this is obviously the first question. The next question is how, uh, just technically, and third question is uh, how much financially. Uh, but we don't have uh, the clear answer of the first question. Uh, with what do we change uh, the generating power of this network if we are to keep them? And uh, if we are uh, to close them, uh, how do we hit the, the population? Of course, uh, as, uh, as mentioned by, uh, by uh, the opening remarks, 
Uh, the Polish case is more difficult than the Bulgarian, although we also have harsh winter. But uh, yes, I've been in uh, in Dansk, <laughs> I've been in Warsaw. It's worse than Sofia or uh, or Plovdiv in Bulgaria. Uh, it's very very cold. Uh, so uh, you you need uh, a solution for everyone. You cannot leave families behind uh, when it uh, when it comes to winter heating. Uh, and also with this continental climate, we have pretty hot summers. Uh, cooling is uh, is also a question. Uh, here I would, uh, just before closing, not uh, in order not to take too much time, say that uh, Sofia in Bulgaria is a very interesting example. And it's the example of uh, tens of thousands, and I'm certainly not exaggerating, uh, families uh, moving from the existing central heating uh, to electrification of, uh, uh, of the heating of their own apartment. And you have a very uh, interesting patchwork uh, with uh, building blocks in which some of the families are using the central, dis central heating system and others have switched off. Uh, and they're using uh, usually high efficiency air conditioners both in winter and, uh, and in summer. So uh, something that we uh, tend to call heat pump, but it's more, uh, more uh, well known as AC in, in Bulgaria for many years now. Because it seems more effective, cost-effective, to use electricity, uh, at least uh, uh, unless you have the regulated market of electricity and prices uh, somehow, uh, somehow bearable. This makes, by the way, the very heating systems very inefficient. Because when you have uh, some of the consumers using the service and others not using the service, maybe paying only some minor share because they have the central installations in the building, so on. Uh, this makes the, the service more expensive for everyone and more inefficient, uh, I would say, financially unsustainable on the central level. So this is, this is a model of transition, uh, but uh, it has proven for the moment to be unsustainable model, a bit chaotic. This is usually just uh, personal decisions taking, uh, taking over time. Uh, and uh, I'm sure when uh, we have more questions, we can talk to, uh, about the alternatives. But uh, once again, I, I insist we don't have a clear and disputable alternative to the central heating systems in, uh, in cent Central Eastern Europe. And this is, this is the main question. Yeah, and I think that, that question of consumer cost is really going to be key. As you mentioned, it's called central heating in Bulgaria. It's also called that in the United States, where I, where I come from. So it has different names depending on what geography you're in. Um, let's go to Julian next from Energy Cities. So uh, we know that a lot of these decisions are taken at local level, um, obviously. So tell us a little bit about what is the role of local authorities when district heating systems are being developed or upgraded? And how do they integrate those decisions with their local decarbonization strategies? Hello, everybody. Can you hear me well? Yes, we can hear you well. Thanks uh, for the invitation. Yes, uh, Julien Joubert from Energy Cities. We are a European network of uh, cities across the EU. And um, so we are working with many cities. And of course, uh, district heating is primarily uh, local infrastructures and municipalities uh, are really key to develop district heating. So they are always almost part of the district heating development. They are often the owner of the infrastructures. Um, and a very important point is that the development of district heating 
require integrated energy planning and urban planning. So looking at uh, yeah, the energy system as a whole and also the development of the city. Um, it's also often require an extensive engagement of the population and the stakeholders. And I think it was already said uh, with some example, like you need to keep the trust of the people in the system. And often uh, it's key that public authorities are backing the project. Um, almost all cities I worked with, uh, they plan to extend their uh, existing networks or build a new one, in fact. So it's really seen by local authorities as the key infrastructures, which is already there, which of course have challenges like uh, modernization, uh, increase energy efficiency, decarbonization. But um, it's not something to shut down, according to us and what we discussed with our members because it can uh, allow to tap into different uh, local renewable energies like geothermal, solar thermal energy, biomass and others. Um, and it can bring security of supply to territories locally. So yes, indeed, it was explained. Uh, often the old system, they are based on uh, just few central fossil fuel uh, um, thermal station. But the new generation of district heating is more uh, based on several uh, thermal stations, based on different renewable energy, which needs to be integrated in the system. And that's uh, the advantages of district heating. It can use different energy resources. And at the time we discussed the uh, question of security of supply, especially linked with natural gas, it's really important uh, locally. Um, what's really important to develop the district heating, it's to have a, 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 um, a comprehensive uh, look at the decarbonization of uh, the heating sector at a strategic level and not only a project by project. So district heating should be integrated in the overall energy system and it can bring a lot of benefits. If you think about uh, having a, a, an industrial heat pump connected to your district heating. For instance, when the price of electricity is low, you can uh, like uh, heat your district heating. Um, so it, it's provide uh, energy storage capacity in the overall energy system. Uh, so it's really important that it should be looked uh, together and um, it should be defined where district heating should be deployed and where it should not be deployed because uh, a solution for everyone should be uh, proposed to every citizen. Um, and that's the role of, of the local authorities. Uh, it was already mentioned, the new obligation for the local authorities to, uh, of more than 45,000 inhabitants to develop local heating and cooling plants, uh, which will come. This obligation also said that the member states should support uh, technically and financially the local authorities to do these plans. And we have just done an assessment of the national legal and support framework existing in the EU to support local authorities to do these plans. And the reality is that only two countries have a quite good support framework. It's Denmark and, and the Netherlands. And it's quite interesting because regarding district heating like uh, Denmark is um, historical uh, district heating market while in the Netherlands they have almost no district heating and it's really new system so they need to introduce that um, so it's really uh, we can learn from this too the example about how moving forward and how supporting uh, local authority to do this plan 
because without a good support framework, uh, the reality is that this plan might not reach um, uh, their goal and should be too poor and not possible to be uh, to be implemented uh, because of a lack of access to data, uh, lack of uh, funding from for for cities, lack of technical support, and the cities uh, often like. Staffing resources. Uh, for example, last year we we had a, a study which estimated that local authorities, I mean public local authorities, they are missing around 200, um, 200,000 full-time equivalent uh, employees to uh, drive the decarbonization of the of the building sector. I might stop here, and we can continue the discussion. Thanks, Liam. That's quite interesting how you say that. Uh, these two best in practice for um, support systems are one country with legacy systems, Denmark, and one country that didn't have leg legacy systems, Netherlands. It shows that actually this is a, something important for both types of countries, the countries new to the game and the countries old to the game. Dorota, uh, let's turn to you next. So we, we heard from Maris that there are various parts of the Fit for 55 package that will affect district heating. Um, and two of the quite important parts are the Energy Efficiency Directive and the recast of the Renewable Energy Directive. Um, how do you assess the, the final conclusions of those pieces of legislation and how they're going to affect the district heating sector? Mm -hmm. Thank you for this question. Um, so it is difficult to uh, assess the, uh, the final con conclusions in a simple way. Definitely the final conclusions uh, are better for us than uh, first proposal uh, because uh, taking into account our uh, specification of uh, district heating systems uh, in Poland, uh, definitely the um, issues related to the legislation as related to uh, district heating systems are very important for us. Uh, because, as uh, Mr. Szczeszek said, uh, more than 40% of Poles uh, 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 use the heat from district heating systems. Uh, so we, as uh, PTZ, uh, we did some, some reports, some anal uh, analysis, uh, where we assessed the uh, final conclusions uh, of the uh, Fit for 55 package, especially taking into account the ED uh, directive, uh, red directive, EPB, uh, EPBD pre-final conclusions, because as <laughs> Mr. Kanev said, uh, we are uh, still <laughs> waiting for the um, conclusions and uh, final decisions related to the uh, trilog process. And uh, it is the directive. And as Mr. Czeszek said, the total cost of the uh, district heating uh, systems uh, transition in Poland, uh, it will be uh, more than uh, 90 uh, billion euros uh, until uh, 2050. It's uh, <laughs> definitely uh, much. And uh, what is uh, also important, uh, as Mr. Kanev said, uh, the problem uh, is uh, how to um, transform the big and the biggest one district heating systems. Uh, because, uh, um, so taking into account the, uh, our conclusions, including in this analysis, we see that uh, 
it's impossible uh, to divide, uh, for example, uh, district heating systems in uh, Warsaw, in Gdańsk, in Krakow, uh, uh, in, in the uh, smallest ones. And uh, it's also impossible, for example, to uh, divide the uh, district heating system in Warsaw uh, uh, for individual buildings. So, for, for example, uh, to, uh, uh, it's impossible to install uh, the uh, photovoltaic installation uh, empowered the uh, heat pump for each building, for example, uh, in, in Warsaw. And uh, uh, besides the um, economical uh, analysis uh, uh, within the, uh, this report, we tried to um, assess which kind of technologies uh, will be possible to implement uh, in uh, each kind of systems because we, uh, during the analysis, uh, we um, divided the whole uh, heat market uh, into the, um, the, 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 the smallest ones. It means uh, uh, we, ana uh, we analyzed the uh, heat markets uh, um, depended on the uh, size of the market, for example, uh, from zero to uh, 20 megawatts of uh, ordered uh, heat capacity by cus uh, final customers. Uh, and uh, we analyzed the six sizes of, the, of this heat, heat market. And uh, uh, what was the conclusion of, of, of this analysis? Uh, now we know that, uh, uh, for example, al until the 2045, uh, the uh, CHP units uh, will be definitely needed uh, to empower the uh, biggest uh, district heating systems. And uh, because we, we need some big stable uh, uh, power unit uh, in, in this system. Uh, uh, of course, we see the potential, uh, the other um, kind of units, for example, biomass units, uh, uh, geothermal, uh, the, uh, definitely uh, the, the, something like a game changer will be uh, power to heat technologies and using the electric boilers uh, empowered by the uh, uh, excessive uh, renewable electricity. And, uh, but uh, of course we need to implement some specific regulations into our uh, national uh, legislation. Uh, but everything uh, depends on the local conditions. Uh, it means uh, in some places uh, there the will be impossible to, uh, to s supply uh, enough biomass, for example, uh, uh, and uh, uh, switch some system in, for example, in Krakow uh, from, uh, from some, some fossil fuel, uh, of course, not only fossil fuel, switch into biomass and uh, biomass uh, so and uh, and uh, supplied uh, so big uh, city by only for, for example biomass it's 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 impossible so Dorota mentioned the, the implementation process that's now going to be happening with these pieces of legislation and also that it can really vary by locality. So Mattis, um, as we now move forward into a transposition and implementation phase 
for the Fit for 55 package elements that will affect district heating. It's difficult to legislate at EU level because, as we've heard, the situation can be quite different. We have these countries with legacy systems. We have countries that don't have systems but are now interested in having them. How much wiggle room has been left to national governments uh, with these various directives to cater the, the provisions here to their individual circumstance? And how different is transposition, well, transposition should be the same, but how different should implementation be uh, across different EU states? Well, thanks for a good question. So what we see is that, um, that first of all, not uh, all the European countries have the district heating systems, and uh, approximately half of them will be affected uh, substantially by the new definition. So. And what we can expect from the implementation is that uh, we, and what we have foreseen in the directive is that the member states have the huge, uh, huge possibilities to define how they approach uh, to the district heating sector and what they are going to do in the district heating sector. So European institutions set the minimum for, for the investment support to the district heating transition. Member states have now the freedom how exactly they are going to do that and uh, these planning provisions, this is something where the EU doesn't have uh, that much competence to regulate what, how the dispatcher plans uh, are going to be developed in the local level in the municipalities. It's uh, pure subsidiarity what, uh, what comes uh, into the scene in this point. So. We have set the minimum rules for how to finance the district heating sector and the member states have now great uh, opportunities to find their own route towards the conversation of the district heating and cooling. Julian, uh, Matt has just mentioned that a lot of this will be up to local authorities. Um, so how do you see the implementation process going with local authorities? And also, I wonder if you could respond to Dorota's point about um, it being difficult for, well, for a large city, you couldn't supply it entirely with biomass. It would be also difficult maybe to break up the system. Is this also your experience that the size of the city is going to make a very big difference here? Um, yeah, uh, indeed, the uh, implementation will be quite different uh, locally, depending on the resources. And it's really why uh, there should be these local heating and cooling plants having a broad overview of all the potential of renewable thermal energy available and also what is the demand. Uh, because the goal of the heat planning uh, is to bring together the su supply side and the demand side and looking at uh, uh, also, I mean, the, the, the matching of the two and how the two can evolve together. And it's quite important for district heating because also one component is that um, once you start renovating the house, you start reducing the demand and it's better insulated. You can bring heat at a lower temperature to the house, which means then you can integrate uh, local, um, I mean, renewable energy sources uh, at lower temperature, like uh, I give an example, uh, solar thermal energy, uh, it's provide heat at around 70 degree, uh, which like SCHP uh, unit, they can provide heat uh, at very high temperature, even above 100 degree, for instance. So if you are able to reduce 
uh, I mean, to insulate the house, reduce the temperature flow needed in the house to heat them, then you can integrate other uh, uh, renewable energy. Uh, regarding the question of the size of the city, um, I can give different example. Like if we look in Vienna, for instance, Vienna is also a place where CHP plays a huge role because it's where you have also production of electricity for most of, uh, I mean, a big part of Austria. So they rely on that a lot. Um, and now the strategy is not to go to biomass, but really much uh, develop um, uh, geothermal energy. Um, and also uh, heat recovery, I mean, waste heat recovery, so heat wasted in industrial site and so on, and go with electric uh, boilers as well. And here, uh, green gases should just play a smaller role just to balance this huge uh, district heating grid, for example. But it's the same in, um, in Munich, for example, they have a huge uh, plan to develop deep geothermal energy and as well as uh, shallow geothermal energy uh, for renovated houses and smaller uh, district heating system. And I agree that we cannot use biomass uh, to decarbonize all the district heating system everywhere in Europe because there will be a lot of tension on the biomass resources. Uh, it was one of the points like uh, uh, Helsinki realized, for example, uh, three years ago, when they launched their uh, Helsinki Energy Challenge to find a new solution to decarbonize their huge district heating. I mean, 98% of the city in Helsinki uh, is connected to district heating, so it's really massive. Um, and part of the solution was to really develop uh, thermal storage, uh, solar heating, uh, and electrification of heating via district heating, because it's bring a lot, lot lot more flexibility in the energy system but if you do uh, at the at the local level um, so I think there are a range of solutions which are local like solar uh, thermal energy or geothermal energy uh, which have been overlooked uh, in the past in the EU policies uh, and if I can give an example also uh, uh, in Denmark there is more than one gigawatt or solar thermal capacity um, to supply district heating system and Denmark. I mean, it's quite uh, north in Europe. And I mean, this if, if it can be done in Denmark, it can, be, it can be done elsewhere. And I know also in Poland that there are uh, some uh, uh, demonstration project, pilot project to integrate that kind of technology. But it's also true uh, in Latvia and other uh, places where district heating is well developed. Radon, when you've been working on these issues in the European Parliament, um, what kind of considerations did you give when you were, uh, well, when the Parliament General was making amendments to the specificity of the needs of different types of different types of cities and also the starting point of different countries with district heating? So most importantly, uh, we, we don't uh, have to prescribe technology. Uh, we have no universal uh, recipes for solutions. We know the, the goal, it is to decarbonize heating, uh, including uh, existing district heating systems or building new low carbon or decarbonized uh, uh, district heating systems. Once again, uh, I say for me it's, uh, it's more than obvious that uh, existing central heating systems in big cities uh, are most difficult to, to deal with. Uh, and uh, most importantly, uh, we have a number of solutions 
and uh, uh, I was listening uh, very attentively to Joubert. I've been on uh, many meetings and exchanges uh, regarding district heating and district heating decarbonization. Uh, they are really a, a cocktail of, uh, of solutions, very interesting, uh, most of them. And uh, in my point of view, more than obviously, none of them works by itself. If we speak of town uh, of 200, uh, 250,000, let alone uh, several million uh, inhabitants, uh, there cannot be one solution uh, replacing, for example, uh, uh, fossil gas uh, combustion, uh, which is uh, fairly simple to operate. Uh, of course, uh, I come from, from a city uh, which has uh, huge geothermal reserves. So we are looking in this direction. We are assessing the, the opportunities uh, to, to move from, uh, from natural gas uh, to our geothermal resources. And maybe they'll be able to cover a significant part of our needs. Uh, but this is obviously not the case of, uh, of many other cities that uh, don't have this, uh, this precious asset under, under need. And furthermore, the, the, uh, 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 the use of, uh, of geothermal resources on such a scale uh, has never been done. So uh, we have a lot of open questions uh, from both uh, engineering, geological, and also financial point of view, how, uh, how working it is. Obviously, uh, solar thermal and uh, thermal storage are very, uh, very important uh, uh, option. Uh, once again, it is more than clear that there might be periods in which it does not work. So it cannot be the only solution uh, on the table. Uh, we have uh, waste incineration. Uh, OK, let's uh, uh, use once again the the example with, uh, with my city, uh, absolute no-go, closed uh, between four mountains. So no, no citizen will allow to have waste incineration facility. By the way, it was tried exactly as, uh, as an element of modernizing our central uh, heating system in, in Sofia. And just look at the outcry of, uh, of the population. It's, uh, it's definitely impossible to do it, uh, which is completely different from Vienna, well known from uh, these awful windy days in winter that are cleaning uh, the air around the Danube. So we, we need to consider cocktails of solutions for each particular case, which uh, is uh, most obviously something that cannot be done on Brussels level, but I would say it can hardly be done even on government level in a bigger country. We need a very sophisticated balance between national government, uh, local authorities, uh, and yes, you presented me as a center-right member of parliament, such I am. Uh, I think that uh, the innovative power of business can never be replaced by any level of authority. So we, we need a very, very uh, good cooperation with, uh, with businesses who might provide solutions that uh, our minds are not inclined to find. So, Dorota, we've talked about the limitations of the district heating systems in the largest cities. How can they be decarbonized then, um, given those limitations? And also, separately, what would you say is the general trajectory of the transformation, the transition of district heating systems in Poland? Mm -hmm. So, um, uh, so uh, starting from the uh, second question, um, there is not only one uh, general um, 
direction of the uh, transformation of district heating systems uh, in Poland. Uh, as Mr. Kanev said, there is um, not only one uh, solution for each, each city, so uh, we need to take into account the um, specific conditions, local conditions, and availability of uh, some, some fuels, some uh, some energy sources, for example, geothermal, and uh, or, or for example, if it comes to uh, large scale heat pumps, availability of the uh, low source uh, uh, for using this. Uh, so we see that uh, in many the biggest cities in Poland. Uh, now we are uh, switching uh, uh, the fuel from coal. Uh, to especially gas. Of course, we try to uh, to use the, for example, the biomass, uh, the uh, the uh, waste, uh, for example. Of course, we know the limitations related to using uh, waste uh, after 2030. We uh, uh, we think that uh, that uh, we we try to find uh, some some. Enough good solution, uh, but uh, what 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 is important for us? Of course, we uh, we used uh, some some uh, um, additional solution. For example, the um, we try to implement the hybrid installation. Uh, for example, uh, in individual buildings which are connected to the district heating. Uh, we try to use, uh, for example, uh, some installations with re uh, uh, individual uh, renewable energy sources. And we try to uh, implement this. But from our side and uh, from our point of view, uh, the most important things, uh, thing is um, financing and the, um, how to um, um, deliver the, the heat to our final customers and uh, not to uh, uh, not to uh, and not not to um, uh, burden uh, on final customers but uh, by um, high um, prices uh, heat prices uh, for example and uh, we need to try in taking into account of course uh, the local planning uh, by local authorities, uh, the best uh, solutions, the, the the cheapest ones for uh, for fi uh, final customers, uh, but we know it's uh, it's difficult now. It's um, it's also difficult to find the solutions for the biggest cities after uh, twenty uh, uh, forty five, because uh, uh, we see potentially the uh, possibility of using the green hydrogen, for example, but uh, this uh, technology is not enough developed uh, now uh, to, uh, for planning uh, the commercial using uh, in, for example, 20, 20 years. 
Um, Radhan, you mentioned that um, for some countries that don't already have district heating, it can seem like this new, exciting potential, uh, mostly in the West, and then for countries mostly in the East that have district heating already, it can seem as an old solution. Um, there's also a reputational aspect there, right? I know I mentioned we also call it central heating in the United States. It's not so common, but one of the cities that has it is New York City, where I'm from, and it has a central heating has a very bad reputation uh, in New York City. I remember, I've lived in central heating apartments. The only way to turn down the heat in the winter is to open a window. Uh, people don't generally like it. So how do you fix the, the reputational uh, problems that you face in countries with legacy systems to say, hey, actually, this, this does have potential to be a new thing as well? Uh, so if we need to be uh, utterly realistic, I would say in my country it's beyond repair. Uh, but, uh, of course, we need a, a dose of optimism uh, and uh, we, we need a, a big change in the way uh, these companies perform. Uh, for example, we had this, uh, this discussion, uh, whether it's uh, state-owned, uh, whether the decision is taken on, on state level uh, or a local authority level. Uh, in Bulgaria, for example, the Sofia district heating, by far the biggest uh, one, the biggest consumer of gas in the whole country, by the way, uh, has switched ownership between the municipality and the state several times. And each time uh, it's because the, the present shareholder doesn't want it. It's not that somebody wants to take it. It's that somebody wants to get rid of it, uh, along with all the, the reputational problems, which amount to political problems when elections come especially if elections are in the cold season. A very, one, uh, one huge problem we haven't, we cannot solve, is total unpredictability of the bills, uh, which is rather different from electricity, where it might be expensive if it's cold and it's cheap if it's a uh, hot winter. Uh, but with, uh, with central heating, it's totally unpredictable because you have this central installation, hundreds of thousands of, uh, of consumers, uh, huge losses of energy on, uh, on the road, which, by the way, is also obviously very bad for the climate because you, uh, you waste energy uh, all along. There are a lot of, uh, a lot of small steps to be taken uh, in order to, uh, to repair this bad image, but uh, it will be an extremely difficult task. Uh, but uh, we, uh, we need to do it in, in some way. One thing, let me say one thing positive, uh, switching from, uh, from coal, hard oil, to gas more than 20 years ago uh, was uh, a, a huge benefit for air quality. Because we, we speak at Fit for 55, we discuss uh, EED, EPPD, uh, RED, uh, etc. But we also have the Industrial Emissions Directive, we have the Ambient Air Quality Directive. And uh, they are making the puzzle even more complicated because sometimes the more climate-friendly solution is not the one leading to cleaner air. For example, biomass is detrimental in, uh, in locked uh, uh, cities, in valleys, and, uh, and so on, uh, whereas natural gas uh, is good for the air quality, quite, quite bad for the climate. Of course, coal is uh, bad for both, but then sometimes it's, uh, it's the only fuel available and uh, the only local asset that we have because gas we do import, so when we run out, it was, by the way, the, the same date when, uh, when the Kremlin cut off the gas supply for Bulgaria and Poland. We were the first countries to, to suffer that after the outbreak of the war, 27th of April, 
plus cure. Uh, so in this situation, you might need to switch to hard oil or to coal, which uh, deteriorates the, the quality of your air and the health of your citizens at the same time. So very, very complicated puzzle. And what, what I really hate is when, uh, when uh, our colleagues, politicians, uh, present it as an uh, easy solution requiring only some finance and some political will. It's much more than that. Julien, on the local level, um, how do you think these reputational issues can be overcome uh, and that people can be sold on the benefits to climate, to energy security of district heating systems in these countries that have the legacy systems? Uh, yeah, I agree. It's not uh, an easy problem to solve. Uh, and, and there are a lot to do. I think it, it was said already, like, uh, of course, modernization uh, of, of the system. Um, probably there is one aspect, which is also the question of uh, transparency as well. Um, and, and it's key to get, to get the trust of the people. Uh, there are quite some debate, for example, um, in the Netherlands regarding that, which is a new... Um, yeah, DH market, and they want to increase uh, what is the transparency, how people know what they are paying. Um, and here maybe a good example also is uh, is from Denmark uh, because they applied a true cost principle in Denmark. So um, I mean the cost should be based. I mean, the price should be based on the cost uh, incurred by the district heating company uh, with a lot of transparency and heat is seen as a, as a public service and not as a commercial service. Um, so I think here it's quite important uh, to, yeah, to increase the transparency, to involve also the citizen uh, in, the, in, the, yeah, in the management of the system. I can give an example from a city in Serbia. Uh, they have a, a really, yeah, big issue with uh, increase of prices uh, and consumers were not happy, of course, uh, but then they set up a citizen advice, I mean, a consumer advisory board, uh, which is taking part of the board of the district heating company and make the link with the consumer to discuss the issue the consumers have. So that kind of system, I think it can help. Of course, it doesn't avoid uh, the question of investment to uh, uh, modernize the system, make it more efficient, and, and so on. But it's uh, it's really important, and there should be a form of uh, democratic control, um, especially if you start going on the way to uh, ask for compulsory connection to district heating. Um, I think it was said uh, before. But uh, yes, we, we probably need a, a market approach. Uh, I mean, the price signal is, is important. We have seen that uh, with, the, with the increase of the gas price uh, last year, which led to a decrease of consumption, energy efficient, I mean, more uh, energy efficient uh, behavior, let's say. So it's, it's important, uh, but it also can lead to the example which uh, were given about Sofia and people uh, doing the electrification of their own home uh, on their side, not in a coordinated way, which is uh, preventing, uh, yeah, uh, cost optimization of, of the entire system. And uh, on the other side, 
I think planning can really answer that question uh, to make a democratic collective choice and not go towards uh, everyone going to its own individual solution, uh, looking at its own benefit. And then at the end, uh, everyone is losing. And we see that uh, with local heat plan, I mean, our advisory is that uh, the local authorities given their local um, condition, they should give the mandate uh, to do either uh, mandatory connection to district heating, uh, of course, with some uh, barriers to protect the consumers, uh, but or they could be given also the right to ban uh, fossil fuel boilers in some of their district and so on to foster the development of uh, foreign alternative solution uh, like heat pump, like district heating, but in a coordinated manners uh, with all the people of the same area going toward the same direction, which really allow uh, the optimization of the different costs. Uh, and it's coming. I mean, in the Netherlands, they just voted, for example, uh, um, a law which uh, gives a right to local authority to say that in certain area the gas supply will stop but by by that date or in germany also the new law discuss will give the mandate to local authority to ban fossil fuels in some of the district so i think it's yeah to go faster uh, we need new tools and local authority need new tools uh, to yeah to 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 go towards uh, like decarbonize a heating solution. And that kind of tool, I think they all need it because we don't have uh, that much time. Uh, when I discuss with people starting local heating and cooling uh, in the Netherlands, when it was introduced in 2019, for example, uh, people were saying, well, uh, we don't need to uh, say to people which solution they should use. Uh, most important is to start the discussion with them about what solution they would like and look at what is possible together. And then naturally, when you have this debate with the people, you can go reach to a, a solution. Uh, of course, you need to take the time of this discussion. Um, and, and the reality is that now we have, I think, less time. The people are worried about the different system. They are lost. They don't know which heating solution they should uh, go towards. Uh, and that's the role of the public authority in general to give answers to that kind of question. I mean, we see in some cities, they are able, uh, after local heating and cooling plants, to say to people, uh, we plan to bring district heating in your area by that date. Uh, or in this area, the cost-effective solution for you, it's it pump individual one. Uh, so give clarity to, to, to people. I think it's also a way to, to rebuild the trust. Thanks, Julian. So let's take some questions that have come in from the audience. Um, the first question is about nuclear and uh, district heating, which we haven't really talked about so much yet. Um, so, uh, Maris, this is a question for you. It comes from uh, Guilherme from Nuclear Europe. Small modular reactors with customizable size and ability to be close to big population centers would be a great source of district and industrial heating, in many cases able to reconvert fossil fuel plants. What is the EU doing to ease and promote the deployment of this promising new technology? Well, what I can point out here is that um, the energy efficiency directive also included uh, alternative definition of the efficient district heating and cooling based on the 
the direct carbon emissions of the, of the basic heating and cooling. And uh, this is actually an alternative that could be interesting for the um, nuclear power plant operators and could, could potentially uh, for the small modular reactor operators in the future. So theoretically it's possible to, to supply heat in the district heating uh, systems from the nuclear power stations and, um, and uh, the option is there. So and you can uh, back this uh, alternative also as well for but the main approach is to increase the share of renewables and waste heat in the district heating systems so next question is for dorota this question mm -hmm. is from sanjeev kumar what eu measures would help the polish dhc system invest more in geothermal uh, 16 million euros from cohesion funds was granted to Szeged in Hungary to transition from fossil gas to geothermal. Would similar support be welcome in Poland? And also, if you want to come in on this question of the small reactors, uh, feel free. Mm -hmm. Okay, so if it comes to geothermal potential, so um, to be honest, there are um, many um, many investment processes in in Poland uh, related to the um, different stages, of course, uh, uh, of the of the investments in the uh, geothermal uh, uh, sources, making availability uh, using uh, this uh, this source, and but. Um, Everything, as I previously said, uh, uh, everything depends on the um, on the local conditions. It means some some geothermal so, uh, sources uh, are possible to, to use, for example, for uh, some uh, district heating systems, and some of them are not. Uh, so uh, uh, we see this potential. Uh, companies uh, uh, are making some uh, recognition uh, of, uh, of, of, of this potential, uh, but uh, uh, the major part of, uh, of potential using this, uh, this technology in um, different systems depends on the, uh, especially, uh, uh, technical and economical uh, conditions. Okay, so the next question is for Radan. The question is from Anna Bajomi. Um, in many Central and Eastern European countries, the majority of rural poor households burn polluting firewood and coal in old stoves. Firewood is accounted as uh, renewable energy. The uh, Energy Efficiency Directive's heating and cooling plans leave out rural areas from their scope. Can small-scale district heating systems be a sustainable and affordable alternative of solid fuel heating? A simple answer is yes. Uh, they could. Uh, not, uh, not so simple. Uh, it's uh, very, very uh, problematic where the investment uh, should come from. Uh, because we have... Uh, I, I would say everywhere in Eastern Europe, these uh, these problems with uh, uh, regions really left behind, uh, where you usually have uh, population uh, 
which is uh, overaged with very low incomes. Uh, the municipalities themselves uh, have no fiscal space whatsoever, usually because of these social reasons. The, uh, the property taxes are very low, amounting to several euro yearly uh, per household. Uh, so the own resources that local authorities possess are zero. Uh, they uh, maybe could sustain themselves as administrative expenses, maybe even rely on, uh, on state budget for uh, sustaining uh, this uh, basic functioning of the municipality. Uh, obviously, there is no uh, clear incentive for business to enter with an investment proposal uh, because uh, there is no capital return uh, option from, uh, from a very poor population. So, frankly, uh, I don't find this uh, this realistic. Uh, more realistically, you can uh, you can maybe offer uh, support through social climate fund uh, and other uh, opportunities for uh, heat pumps uh, and simple and cheap uh, and cheap ones. Explaining to to people that it won't be more expensive. Uh, it will be either cheaper or same. Uh, uh, or same expense monthly as the solid fuel that uh, they are uh, normally exploiting for heating. Uh, once again, it won't be an easy task to persuade elderly people who have their, uh, their traditions, their habits, their fears of electricity prices, but this could be uh, an option. Building a district heating in uh, really underdeveloped regions, in my point of view, is, uh, is a void idea. It's a nice, uh, nice one, but uh, it uh, it won't work. And if if you allow me, uh, I would say same for nuclear reactors. Hmm. Let's let's ask the the population of, of Sofia or Warsaw whether they want a nuclear reactor in the town. Uh, the answer will be no. Uh, that's uh, maybe uh, maybe it's not the right answer, but in democracy, it's. Uh, it's what the, the citizens say. That's uh, obviously one of the biggest handicaps of democracy, but we still love it. Maris, uh, would you agree with that characterization for the small-scale district heating systems, the potential there for rural populations? Well, yes, I can agree, but um, what um, we haven't heard today that much in this conversation today is that um, what we really need to focus is actually the energy efficiency and the energy saving at home. So this is something that uh, shouldn't be underestimated when we are talking about the future of district heating. So hand in hand with the improvements on the supply side, there should be also the improvements on the demand side. And energy efficiency of the housing stock isn't that uh, good in Europe in general and uh, central and eastern part of the Europe. Uh, yeah, the buildings can be significantly uh, renovated and their energy demand can be reduced. And then it's easier to meet uh, the energy demand uh, in these uh, district heating and systems and uh, there will be not so challenging to find out what could be the supply solution for the district heating systems. So therefore, in poor households, first thing is to find out ways uh, how to improve their energy efficiency and then decide uh, what could be the supply option. But the, when the regions are don't have that good um, potential for the implementation of the district heating, individual heating uh, solutions are perfect and, and can be used uh, widely also. As I definitely agree. Yeah. 100%. <laughs>
So the next question is for Dorota. The question is from Flaminia Bonani. Um, in the report by PTEZ, it's mentioned the security of supply and heat electricity is a key condition determining all investments process. To what extent do you think current discussions could help rethinking energy, the energy security idea and drive investments more on the demand rather than the supply side? Mm -hmm. uh, okay, so... Um in the report, uh, of course, we indicated that the, uh, what is important, uh, so so uh, so the um, supply, the heat to uh, final customers, uh, is uh, the, the main goal of uh, local authorities, and uh, and of course, energy companies, uh, which uh, uh, that are the, the operators of the district heating. Uh, systems and uh, what is important uh, in uh, case of uh, focusing on the uh, demand aspects uh, it's the um, potential of the reduction of the heat demand uh, from the final customer side so uh, in this report we uh, we calculated and we did the for, uh, forecasts uh, that uh, the potential of reduction of the heat demand until 2050 uh, it's from 30 to 45 percent uh, in the district heating systems the uh, this uh, the, 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 the bigger value uh, including the uh, rather the small scales uh, district heating, heating systems uh, we found the big potential of uh, using uh, of using uh, the district heating for uh, uh, heat uh, uh, for hot, hot water uh, use and uh, of course uh, uh, we take into account the uh, demand side uh, f from uh, and uh, yeah, uh, definitely uh, it's uh, it's the, the uh, um, so uh, during the um, planning of the uh, each district heating uh, system transition, uh, it is important to take into account this this aspect. Yeah. Okay, the next question is for Maris. This question is from Niccolo Manari. The Energy Efficiency Directive contains provisions on district heating, as well as others on data centers. Do you see a future for mandatory waste heat reuse coming from data centers? Well, uh, yeah, good question. So, yeah, it's um, it's really up to the to the local circumstances, how the heat from the data centers can be used. So data center developers have many different considerations how to locate their data center. And, and uh, fortunately, this close, closeness to the, to the potential consumers of energy and the closeness to the residential areas is not co considered as an asset sometimes in the data centers. So especially these or that are handling uh, data that uh, require really secure solutions to ensure the operability of the data centers. So it's really up to the 
developers of the data centers, and I don't feel that this um, prescript prescriptive approach in, uh, on the legislative side is a solution to ensure the best outcome from, from this industry. So, of course, data centers are very much welcome to, the, uh, to contribute to district heating systems and, uh, and their, their carbonization, but uh, we should be careful and also listen to the other side uh, in this, uh, this point to, to maintain this uh, high, high standard of the IT services in the EU. On the other hand, also think about the sustainability. So next question is for Julien. Uh, his question is from Sanjeev Kumar. Local, distribu local distribution system operators, DSOs, often prepare their network infrastructure plans without the political orientation from local authorities. Would a mandate on DSOs to plan and invest in local renewables facilitate this alignment? What else could be done to foster cooperation? Yeah, I, I quite agree with uh, what said that uh, the planning of the energy infrastructure uh, done by the distribution system operator, especially for electricity, but also for the gas network, uh, is rarely done uh, in accordance with the plan of local authorities. And it's something uh, we advocate for also in the revision of the gas package. Uh, we all know that to reach the goal of the EU, we need to phase out the use of natural gas, uh, but still there are uh, investment and important investment done in the distribution uh, and transport system of gas at the moment, which is totally uh, not aligned with the goals of the local authorities and, and any way to reach uh, EU goals. So they should be, um, now that there is uh, heating and cooling plants, uh, obligation in the EED, they should be an alignment in the gas package and uh, distribution system operators should be obliged to do their um, planning in accordance with these uh, local heating and cooling plants. That's something we are supporting uh, really much, but the trialogue discussion are ongoing. Uh, and uh, well, it's something the European Parliament is pushing and we hope that there will be an agreement uh, with the Council and the Commission on, on that. That's for sure. Uh, and then just to add maybe on the question of the uh, rural areas that we mentioned before, I mean, the EU states that local heating and cleaning plants should be done by local authorities above 45,000 inhabitants at least, but we think uh, it could be uh, also smaller cities concerned by this obligation. There are examples like in Germany, in Baden-Württemberg, it's all local authorities uh, above 20,000 inhabitants. So the more cities are doing this planning, the more it will help us to reach the EU climate goals. And they should get the support to do it. Thanks, Julian. So we're just about out of time, but I did want to put uh, one question very quickly to Dorota. Now I've lost it, but it said the, the gist of it was, can old decommissioned gas pipelines be used for district heating? I think the answer is no, but is am I wrong? So decommissioned gas pipelines, mm -hmm. could they be reused for district heating? No. No, right? Okay, that's what I thought. 
I thought I'd tell, I'm not a, I'm not a total expert, so I thought I'd check that. I want to thank the panelists very much for their contributions. Really interesting discussion, and thank you to the audience for some great questions. I think as we've discussed, we are now moving into a transposition and implementation phase on these. We have a couple open uh, pieces of legislation for sure, like the Energy Performance of Buildings Directive, but now we're moving into an implementation phase. So it's going to be really interesting to see how these various pieces of legislation that affect district heating are going to be applied in these different geographic areas, which, as we've discussed, come from very different backgrounds when it comes to district heating. Uh, how about a round of applause for our panelists? So thank you so much for those of you online for spending your lunchtime with us. And for those of you in the room, I'd like to invite you to a networking reception outside. Thanks. Take care. <laughs>